The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Walter Isaacson is the author of arguably the best biography of major business figure, that of Steve Jobs of Apple. Now he's done it again, turning his attention this time to the world's richest man, one who's still living as well, Elon Musk. Musk, of course, is a highly controversial figure, especially since his acquisition of Twitter, which he has renamed as X. But his business story goes way beyond Twitter to include many other major companies of significant scale and import, such as Tesla, Starlink, SpaceX, and get this, the boring company. His way of doing things can get extraordinary results, but sometimes at a great cost to him and to others. His personal story is full of complexities and many mental health issues and often very difficult personal relationships as revealed in Isaacson's excellent book that gives us a much fuller understanding of the South African who's now resident in the United States of America. Walter Isaacson, thank you very much for being with us. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. You've had extraordinary access to Musk and to his family in writing this book. But tell us, how was it exhausting does Elon Musk find it to be Elon Musk? <laughs> he is somebody who's attracted to storm and drama. And when things are going quite well, as they were at the beginning of 2022, and Tesla was suddenly in the most valuable car company on Earth, and SpaceX was sending rockets into orbit and landing them upright and reusing them, he didn't sit back and enjoy things. He said... I need to keep putting my chips back in the table, playing the next level of the game. And he just drove himself crazy, working 20 hours a day. And that's when, on an impulse, he bought Twitter. How much does he regret that? Well, I uh, saw in the past few weeks, there are moments he kind of regrets it. But he wants it for three reasons. One is that 20 years ago, he started a company called X.com which was supposed to be a payments platform. It became PayPal, but he wanted it to be bigger, pay, payments plus a social network. Uh, secondly, he just loves Twitter and uh, is addicted to it in many ways. And he also cares about opening it up to a broader range of political speech, which, of course, can be messy and problematic because it sometimes amplifies hate speech. Uh, but... I would say about two-thirds of the time he's giddy and happy about owning Twitter, and about a third of the time he says, why did I ever get into this mess? But that last point you bring up about him being interested in facilitating political speech, when did that become an issue to him? That doesn't really rise its head throughout almost your entire book. It became an issue to him uh, about three years ago for a few reasons. One is the COVID shutdowns and lockdowns and shutting of factories and shutting of schools, he thought went too far. And he felt that there was not enough debate around it, that if you decided that lockdowns or mask mandates were not a good idea, you got kicked off of Twitter. Secondly, the Democrats started attacking him a lot in the United States from you know the more um, progressive senators like Elizabeth Warren. And he kind of rankled at that. And thirdly, as a more personal thing, he had his uh, oldest child, uh, who named Xavier after his favorite uh, character in the X-Men comics, transitioned, became a daughter, Jenna, which uh, Elon got his head around. But Jenna became very much of a Marxist progressive and refused to have anything to do with uh, her father, her father. And he felt that was because she had been indoctrinated by 
what some people here in the United States call the woke mind virus. So he got more conservative and populist in the past three years. Let's go back, though, to his own father, because he's estranged from his own father, isn't he? Absolutely. When Elon was a child, he used to get beaten up a lot because he was not very, he was socially awkward. You know, he, call, he says he has Asperger's I and mean, he has trouble emotionally relating, but he was also scrawny. And one day, uh, out of many beatings, he was beat up so badly he had to go to the hospital for four days. But the scars from that were minor compared to when he came home. And his father uh, made, made Elon stand right in front of him while his father berated him for more than an hour, saying he was stupid and it was his fault, and taking the side of the person who beat him up. And that sort of dark personality, uh, you know, the old... Uh, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where somebody's personality suddenly goes dark. That's the case with Errol, and it's actually the case with Elon as well. Which raises the interesting question as to how much of his behavior is learned or how much of it is almost inherited in his DNA from his father. And it's really hard to separate those strands. Certainly, he, like his son Saxon, who's autistic, and his father, who has. Uh, these multiple personalities, you know, there's a lot of psychological things jangling in there. I'm no psychologist, and I'm not even sure the best psychologists know the mix of genetic versus environmental causes for such things. Certainly, uh, Elon's brother, Kimball, who's a delightful person, goes around saying, I'm the one who inherited the empathy gene in the family, because Kimball's always nice to people around him. Elon isn't. What I try to do in the book is I try to say some of these things seem deeply ingrained into the fabric of who Elon is, the dark strains and the light strains. And you, the reader, have to figure out how to sort it out because I'm not there to preach at you, to say that the guy's a total jerk or a total genius. I'm there to tell you I got to be by his side, and you can see how these dark and light strands are interwoven. Well, you mentioned his father, Errol, had multiple personalities or has. Do you think does Elon Musk also have multiple personalities? Absolutely, yes. Uh, in They switch pretty quickly, too. There's times when he's in silly and giddy mode and watching Monty Python skits on his phone. There are times when he's incredibly inspiring and he'll just go into this almost monotone about why humanity has to get uh, into space and go to Mars. There are times when he gets into a very engineering mindset and then he focuses intensely like on a valve, on a rocket engine and how it can be made with different materials. And then there are times, and it's pretty sudden, it's almost like a storm coming in off the Gulf of Mexico. He turns really dark and he starts coldly berating the people in front of him, never yelling and screaming, obviously never physical. But when he gets in those dark moods that last an hour, two hours, three hours, he's Mr. Hyde, and he hardly remembers it when he snaps back out. So I asked you at the outset, how exhausting is it for Elon Musk to be Elon Musk? But how exhausting is it for those people around him? I'll get to his work colleagues in a second. But what about his family? And what about how his relationships with the mothers of his various children have survived that? It's been difficult. Uh, he dotes on his children or always wants to be around him, as you've probably seen the pictures of him with his three-year-old, known as X. Uh, he's always on Elon's shoulder. 
And Elon says that the things that hurt him the most are when his other children, the teenage uh, boys in particular, uh, don't really want to be around him. They have other things they want to do, and he wants them to be at every rocket launch. Obviously, he's estranged from his old eldest daughter, Jenna, as we mentioned. Uh, and uh, with the rest of his family, he's got to, he he's attracted to Storm in his emotional relationships, just as he is in his professional ones. So he's got uh, a girlfriend, off and on, named Claire Boucher, the artist known as Grimes, and that's a roller coaster of a relationship. And of course, he also has other friends. And then what about work relationships? Because it seems that he is almost cruel at times in the demands that he makes of people who often become expendable. Or is that a fair assessment? That's totally true. He can be very cruel and cold and callous. And he treats them sometimes as expendable. And I go through it in the book, the times he does that to people and the times he is the opposite to people. Uh, and uh, you can see the the traits it takes to be able to survive him. Uh, if you look at Gwen Shotwell, the president of SpaceX, she's been with him for more than 20 years. So I explain how people are able to deal with this incredibly intense uh, personality. But there are some people I write about in the book who have a run-in with Elon and his intensity, and they barely ever recover. So uh, it's certainly not a how-to manual on how to manage a company, but it does show that sometimes you can find people and you drive them crazy, but you also drive them to do things they didn't know they'd be able to do. And does that mean that you feel that he has achieved things with his companies that would not have been achieved if he didn't treat people that way? You don't have to be a jerk, or I could use another term for it that begins with A, in order to be successful. I've written about Ben Franklin and Jennifer Doudna, the scientists who invented the gene and uh, co-invented the gene editing tool known as CRISPR. Nice as can be, those people. But there are people, whether it's Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, and of course Elon Musk, who drive people with a almost frenetic intensity. And yes, that sometimes accounts for both their controversial nature, but it also it accounts for some of the things they achieve. And in the book, uh, I hope a reader will come out of it saying, well, how can I achieve things, but also be a little bit kinder and gentler than these people? You spoke earlier about his desires for Twitter or X as he has renamed it. But what about an overall mission? Because his starting point seems to have been, been this belief that he could bring humankind to multi-planetary life. How did that develop? And does he still believe that? Oh, yes, he still believes it. He still almost chants it like a mantra. And as a you know, young, very lonely kid with no friends and small and scrawny, he would sit in a dark corner of the bookstore in Pretoria, South Africa, and read the comic books. And he'd laugh about the superheroes. He said they were trying to save the world, and they wore their underpants on the outside, uh, and they looked ridiculous. But at least they were trying to save the world. And it's almost who he is. Uh, he sometimes looks ridiculous, but he has three great missions from childhood, from the comic books and the sci-fi he read. One is to make uh, humans multiplanetary. Number two is to have sustainable energy on this planet. 
through solar roofs, uh, power walls, and electric vehicles. And thirdly is to make sure that robots, artificial intelligence, are always aligned with us. He read Isaac Asimov and the danger that the robots and AI will turn on us. He believes AI safety. And he is motivated by those three missions in a almost ethereal, compelling way. And how well does he believe he's doing in them? Let's take them in turn. Will he see a manned space mission to Mars? Yes. He probably will not be on it. He has no strong desire to be like uh, Sir Richard Branson and get on the first rocket. But uh, I would say in about five weeks, we're going to see the second launch of Starship, which is the rocket that's designed to go to Mars. It will only be designed to go to orbit on these missions. But within five years, I think you'll have interplanetary non-manned missions. And uh, I would guess within 10 years, uh, you might even see a manned mission around Mars, probably 15 years, I would guess. And then in relation to the environment, how successful does he believe he is being in his ambitions to reduce carbon footprints, but also to develop the Tesla into the car that he has promised it would be? He began putting together the elements of Tesla with other people back when General Motors, Ford, and every other car company were getting out of the electric vehicle business. Ford was smashing, no, General Motors was smashing the ones they had made. He, almost more than any other person in the world, was able to force the transition to electric vehicles. They made uh, one million cars in 2022 when I was first starting. Now, in the past six months, they've made another million, and Tesla is worth more than the next nine car companies combined. And it will be, people will find it uh, quaint if five years from now somebody buys an internal combustion engine gasoline car. We're moving to electric vehicles, and he's doing it with solar roofs and battery packs, which I think makes him uh, successful. Indeed. But what about his ambitions to make these cars to be self-driving? Has that effectively been abandoned? No, uh, it's not been very successful. Uh, It has been late, but he's more intense than ever at having self-driving. I've certainly been in the cars when they're self-driving, and I think they're a few years away when I would trust it. But what he's done, and it's at the end of the book, which is very interesting, you know these um, chatbots, these large language models, generative AI, like uh, ChatGPT, they learn to do things by just observing huge amounts of data and then imitating it. Well, that's what he's now doing with cars. He's, he's fr- uh, putting in one billion frames uh, an hour or so from Tesla cars around the world into a computer so that the cars will drive as if they're imitating what a good human driver would do. One last one, Walter Isaacson, and it's the third part of the things we discussed there briefly as to his ambitions, his missions. AI, artificial intelligence, is there a sense that compared to the other tech giants, he is more anxious about the way that this could develop, that he has perhaps more of a dystopian feel about this than others? 
Yes, he's read far too much science fiction and maybe too much Isaac Asimov. So he has a dystopian, apocalyptic view, as you said. And that's very much part of his personality, to be apocalyptic. That was, oh, the world's about to end and we all must rush in to save it. Especially with Larry Page of Google and some of the people at Microsoft and some of the people at DeepMind. He feels they're not worried enough that artificial intelligence could in some ways, leave humans behind, perhaps turn on humans. And he feels that he's got to start, as he does at the end of the book, he summons me to Austin, Texas, and tells me privately, what is now public, how he's starting his own artificial intelligence company, because the other tech people are too complacent about the dangers. Walter, I mentioned at the outset your wonderful book on Steve Jobs, who cooperated with you because... I think he knew he was dying and it was a testament to his life. Why did Elon Musk give you so much access and allow his family and friends to talk to you so much when he's very much alive and presumably there's an awful lot more left to be done? He has a almost odd embrace of transparency. I said to him, I don't want to do this just based on interviews. I want to do it on just being in every single meeting by your side you know, hours on end. And he says, I'm totally open. I'm totally transparent. And I think it was almost a risk-taking thing. He just felt, all right, we're going to do something that hasn't been done before, maybe since Boswell wrote about Dr. Johnson, which is to have a book that's incredibly intimate and up close. He knows he's controversial. He comes off badly in many parts of the book because he can be so mean and um, rough on people. But I don't think he minded that. I think he wanted to show how radically transparent he could be. It's an absolutely terrific read. I'm loving it. It's called Elon Musk. Walter Isaacson, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.